You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We've got uh, my good friend Carmi Levy with me today. We are Canada's number one tech show, and we've got a great program. We're going to be talking uh, with the folks over at Intel. They've launched a new uh, AI processor for laptops. It's called Intel Ultra. And uh, we're going to learn why you will want this in your next laptop. And this is going to be an interesting conversation, uh, Carmi, because there hasn't been like huge reasons for people to, you know, run out and upgrade their laptop. Remember in the old days, you know, with computers, you'd get a new one every two years, right? Because things were just advancing so quickly. And now I, you know, I've got laptop, you know, I'm a computer guy, so I've got a few kicking around. I'm, I'm still using ones from like five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, people don't make as big a deal about what's inside anymore. You used to be able to rhyme off all the specs of your processor and all the related equipment inside your your machine. Uh, I used to line up outside stores when they when the shipments came in. I mean, I'm just that I was just that much of a nerd as a kid. Uh, but in this day and age, it, you know, we we have we've not been seeing the kind of revolutionary year to year improvements in the technology, and so a lot of people are looking at their laptop and going, you know. It's yeah, it's a few years old, but if it's good enough, I'll just hold on to it. And especially now, as economic headwinds uh, intensify, uh, we don't really see the need to have the latest and greatest processor. And in many cases, it isn't just the processor that determines overall performance. There's so many other components in a device, like how much and what type of memory you have, what kind of storage, uh, you know, what kind of board is in there. I mean, all of these things that nerds just love talking about. But the average consumer, quite frankly, if the computer isn't stuttering when they're working, even if it's a couple of years old, that's good enough for them. Well, I think in the old days, uh, people, um, I mean, the big selling point for these new laptops, oh, you know, if you're going to be doing video editing and high graphics work, you know, editing photos, you know, you'll want to get a new PC or laptop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in many cases, yes, that's true. But you know what the killer app now? It's AI. So when we're looking at chat GPT and, you know, these text to image uh, engines like Stable Diffusion and MidJourney. Uh, Copilot from Microsoft, which is going to be big this year as well. The This new generation of chip uh, is specially designed to handle that load to make things faster and uh, take the load off the CPU and the GPU, which is the graphics processing unit, um, and give you extra battery life as well. So it's, it's this new killer app, so to speak, that's going to really push laptop sales, I think. Well, I... I, I... Totally agree with you. It always comes down to that killer app. And the, the reality is for the last few years, we haven't had one that's been much different from the killer apps that came before. So, you know, the, the usual photo editing or video editing or, you know, it's kind of the intense graphics work, gaming, things like that. But AI really does represent that next big major leap in terms of killer app that will drive demand for much higher performance from our processors. And so it's really exciting to see an AI-centric architecture coming to market uh, that is expressly built from the ground up to to handle the kind of unique processing loads that AI places on the hardware uh, and to move a lot of that compute power uh, back onto your device. And so you'll have this, instead of sending it off, uh, you know, you know but, so for example, uh, in terms of performance, we're seeing, you know, if you have to ask a remote resource for to do the processing and then send it back, you know, ChatGPT, it works, but it's not all that fast. But if you're doing image processing locally, that can make a huge difference in terms of workflow, ability to be productive, turn things around quickly, because now your machine has been built from the ground up to manage all of that AI goodness locally and not have to rely on some remote device. It is a very exciting time. I think this really is for the first time in years, we really are seeing a shift 
in computational power and AI specific hardware like the Intel Intel Ultra processor, it's a really major deal. Uh, and I suspect we're going to be talking about it a lot over the next year and beyond. So that's coming up near the end of the show. So you're going to learn how that is all going to work. And I, I think it's important that you stick around to understand uh, why it is important uh, to have that type of technology. We're also going to be talking with the folks over at Amazon Web Services. Uh, they've got a new data center in Western Canada to handle uh, the load. And uh, we'll uh, talk with the folks and uh, learn how that all works. And uh, we're going to be doing a CES preview. It's that time of the year. My favorite nerd show, the Consumer Electronics Show, is coming up next week, and I will be down there. We're going to be talking with people from the Consumer Technology Association on what I can expect to see. So I'm I'm kind of excited to 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 see what happens next week uh, there, Carmi. I love CES because it shows that there's still no replacement for getting in front of people in a giant crowd and sharing ideas and learning what's new. That kind of excitement be replicated digitally. Uh, and just the energy of this show. I mean, this is, you know, it it, it it is the granddaddy of them all. It's still going strong. And we still look to it really as a, a mirror on the year to come. What are the trends that we'll need to be focused on? Who are the major players? What do they have in store? And yes, you can throw that up on your YouTube channel or, you know, some other digital source. Uh, but, you know, CES is still the place that people go to find out, you know, Who's thinking what? Who's planning what? And what should I be focused on for the next twelve or so months? And I, I, it's it's like the Super Bowl of the technology industry, and I cannot wait to see what comes out of Vegas this year. Well, I'm uh, going to be doing the show uh, down there next week, so the the following Saturday, I'm going to have uh, all the latest uh, updates. Let's get into some of the tech news, uh, Carmi. This was uh, interesting. Uh, the streaming wars are hot and heavy. You know, Netflix was the 800-pound uh, gorilla for the longest time. They were kind of the first one in. They've got the most market share. Then, of course, all the big players, you know, uh, have started uh, in as well. Disney Plus, uh, Paramount uh, is a big thing now as well. Uh, you know, Max down in the, the U.S. We've got Crave uh, up here. But it looks like they're not really making any money. It's uh, reported that Disney and Paramount lost over $5 billion in 2023. That's not a small sum. Oh, it isn't. And, you know, we, we don't tend to notice these things when we're scrolling through our catalogs and thinking of what it is that we want to watch next. But it costs a lot of money to make those, uh, you know, that content or to license content that already exists and make sure that you, for example, have every episode of Friends available to your subscribers, that costs. And those back-end costs in streaming are tremendous, especially as more companies move into the market, start competing more heavily, more intensely against each other. Uh, and essentially, the size of that pie isn't growing. This, there's still the same number of consumers out there, and now everybody wants to slice off their, their own piece of it uh, at, at a time when consumers are looking at their monthly budgets and going, gee, the economy isn't so great. Uh, maybe I should be cutting back on my budget. Maybe I shouldn't be carrying as many subscription, uh, you know, e subscriptions each month. Maybe I should dial it back. And so you put that together. These companies are under the gun to spend, 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 because otherwise no one's going to stay with them as they pair back. Um, but at the same time, it means that they are not profitable and they're hemorrhaging money in order to maintain a very tenuous position in the market which means not all of them are going to survive. We're already hearing rumors of possible mergers and acquisitions in 2024, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were if there weren't some mega deals announced over the next little while as some of these companies decide, you know what, 
we just can't make the numbers work. Those spreadsheets are all red, and there's no way that we're ever going to compete or be at the top of this pile. This is going to be the year of reckoning for streaming. Uh, and consumers, I think by the time we get to the end of 2024, are going to have fewer choices, both north and south of the border, because of it. If you had a crystal ball, Carmi, what, who do you see left standing at the end of 2024? Well, I think this is uh, Netflix, Amazon, and Apple's game to win, uh, and I think everyone else is gonna is gonna find themselves in very. You know, Disney is already paring back its production budgets. We're hearing uh, potential uh, merger uh, rumors involving Warner Brothers and Paramount, uh, and I think they're just struggling to hold on, almost by the you know the, the very, very tips of their fingernails. But you know, Amazon, uh, Apple, and Netflix. Netflix, of course, was the eight hundred pound gorilla. They started it all. Apple, this is just one small component of a much larger business. And of course, Apple ties back to its hardware and its services ecosystem. So they've got a huge advantage there. And Amazon, same deal, right? They are, of course, the, you know, the e-commerce uh, gorilla uh, and, uh, and they you know, bundle it into, uh, into all of their other offerings. And that gives them also a tremendous advantage. So I think a lot of the streaming pure players who aren't Apple, Netflix, uh, or Amazon uh, are in trouble this year, and any one of them may not be, uh, you know, in in the fight by the end of the year because of it. It's interesting. I read uh, that Amazon will be charging extra as well. So right now, you've uh, you know, a lot of people have Amazon Prime, and it's a good deal, right? Because you get the free shipping, uh, you get you know free photo uh, uploads, you get Amazon Prime Video, uh, which is pretty good. I like a lot of the shows on there, but it it sounds like they're going to start sticking commercials in, and if you don't want the commercials, you're going to have to pay extra per month. Exactly. It's interesting because this is an this is an opt out model, whereas when Netflix introduced advertising, it was opt in. So if you had a Netflix account or, you know, when they introduced it in late 2022, um, if you didn't change anything, everything would stay the same. You would have to opt out, opt into a cheaper ad supported tier, whereas what, what Amazon is doing, uh, if you have a subscription, ads will suddenly start appearing uh, in a few weeks. And if you want opt out of them, uh, then it's going to cost you $2.99 per month. Uh, so it's a much more aggressive move. I think Amazon is learning from the experiences of others. And I think it's inevitable that streaming, uh, as it becomes more competitive, as companies are facing increased economic pressures at the back end to keep the content flowing, but also to keep themselves from hemorrhaging huge amounts of money, they realize we can't make all of this money from subscri subscriptions we've got to introduce ads so we can make money from that as well. And by having that model, what Amazon does is it creates a bigger ad business for itself because more of its subscribers are going to be exposed to ads sooner than was the case with Netflix. Uh, you know, they're, they're realizing the business is changing and they need ads, despite the fact that consumers quit uh, traditional cable and satellite services because they wanted to get away from ads. That was the promise of cord cutting. And now here we are, we've come full circle. We're right back to, to watching ads, except that the method of delivery is different. Streaming almost looks a lot like cable and satellite used to back in the day. Got one minute left here, uh, Carmi, uh, before we have to get to the next segment. You see Apple buying Paramount or Warner? Uh, I think they might raid them just for their for their content libraries. And I think nothing is out of out of play here. And I think Apple would be wise to look at that sort of content distribution and ask where does that fit into Apple TV Plus's um, library or roadmap going forward. Um, I think, and and certainly Apple can afford it. They're sitting on how much? $250 billion in cash? Uh, maybe it's time to go shopping this year. 
We've got a lot more to talk about on Get Connected today. We'll uh, be doing a Consumer Electronics Show preview. Some of the things uh, that uh, I'm uh, expecting to see next uh, week. We'll be talking with the folks over at the Consumer Technology Association. And we are going to be learning about the new Intel Ultra chip. This is a a new mobile processor for uh, the new laptops uh, that are coming out here in 2024 that uh, will make your AI work that much faster and uh, better. Coming up next, we're going to learn about a new data center in Calgary from Amazon and what that means to us normal people. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. Interesting uh, development. It looks like Amazon Web Services has uh, made a, a major investment into Alberta. They are, uh, or they have built a uh, a data center for uh, for the cloud uh, to help us understand how important that is here for Canada. We've got uh, their country manager Eric Gales on the line. Thanks for joining us, Eric. No problem. Great to talk to you again, Mike. This seems to be like a major investment. Uh, Four point one billion dollars. Yeah, really excited about this investment. I think, you know, as we've spoken before, our sort of whole philosophy is working backwards from the from our customers. Some of our customers have been asking for a while for us to build uh, more infrastructure uh, in Canada, specifically for sort of for two reasons. Uh, one is um, to give them an opportunity to build uh, more available applications. Um, so with the second region, you can have five nines availability and also for lower latency in the Western provinces. So we have a, a region, which is a, a cluster of data centers, actually, uh, the way that we sort of describe it. So a region is um, three availability zones, and each availability zone is one or more data centers. And, and those availability zones are close enough together. You can have synchronous replication, but they're far enough apart. You don't have the same risks of flood or fire. And so we've basically built one of those in the West in Alberta. And so significant investment but it opens up really new possibilities for our customers in Canada. And so we're, we're really excited about this um, this latest investment. And we're the first major hyperscaler in Canada to to build that kind of infrastructure in the west of, uh, Western provinces. You service a lot of Canadian uh, companies, uh, just to name a few here. It looks like Air Canada, the NHL, RBC, Sun Life, TELUS. And so Having uh, a data center out west basically speeds up the services for for those companies and and for their customers, right? Yeah, there's there's sort of two scenarios. You've got um, on we have customers that have a requirement or want to keep all or just like to keep all their data in Canada, and so that's uh, sort of one requirement is to you know want to keep everything in Canada. And I have use cases in the west where I have this low latency requirement, and then the other sort of scenario is is this DR requirement. I want you know, a disaster recovery site, which is a, of a significant distance away from my primary cluster, my region. And so with this, you know, we, we have the most complete infrastructure in Canada to service both the low latency requirements on the east and the west of the country, as well as the most robust DR capability for Canadian customers. And some of the customers are more sensitive than others to that. Um, you could imagine, you know, those customers that are regulated. Typically, they want to keep their data in Canada. And for the government as well, there's many government agencies that have a requirement to keep all of their data in Canada. And so this serves that purpose. And another feature of this, the infrastructure we've set up is none of that data ever crosses the border. Just to, you know, help, uh, you know, some of the listeners understand, you know, this is enabling cloud services. And essentially, the cloud is uh, just uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, high-powered computers or services uh, 
And and you guys have that now in basically Al- Alberta. And you talked about clusters. So uh, it's not just one giant building. There's like multiple buildings with these these servers. That's right. Yeah. So we have a, a unique architecture in what we call a region. A region uh, in this case consists of three availability zones. And so those are three discrete buildings, at least three buildings. So each availability zone is, is one or more buildings. And those are connected together in a star format. So you can build a distributed application that actually has a very high degree of availability, but there's always the possibility that, you know, something catastrophic were to happen in the, you know, the Montreal area that has a, you know, large radius, in which case you need a facility which is further away. And so then we have a second uh, region now, which is in Alberta. And so customers have that confidence to sort of distribute our applications across these two regions, which have this, you know, big geographic separation. And so it really minimizes the risks of, you know, any kind of catastrophic impact to their businesses. What does this mean for jobs in um, Alberta and, and Calgary? Yeah, it's net new jobs. So obviously, you know, this has been something that we had, we, we announced this, um, this new capability uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it's been, it takes, you know, it takes some time to build these uh, infrastructures. And so Lots of jobs being involved in sort of building the infrastructure themselves, and some of those will continue because there is there are ongoing construction projects around uh, these um, these facilities, but also the jobs to actually manage the, the data centers themselves. And so we have jobs in the region, and and they'll be sustained, as well as um, so there's the people that actually manage the data. So but then all the sort of the extended jobs beyond just the roles that work at AWS. And so we have you know jobs around security and all of the maintenance of those facilities. So um, it's not just the direct AWS jobs, but the the sort of impact on the local economy, as well as there is a huge investment in the in the Alberta region in particular and sort of in, in the startup community. And having this proximity to that startup community also will have a halo effect. It will create new possibilities for, for new jobs in the tech sector in the Alberta, in the province of Alberta, as well as the, the provinces that have proximity to that to that new region. We've been talking with Eric Gales from Amazon Web Services. Uh, Amazon is uh, investing uh, close to $24.8 billion in Canada by 2037. Thanks for joining us uh, on the show again, Eric. Great to be here. Thanks, Mike. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. Uh, as always, one of my favorite times of year from a nerd perspective uh, would have to be January. And that's because of the Consumer Electronics Show, one of the biggest uh, tech conferences uh, in the world when it comes to the world of technology. And God, I, I think I've been going there since uh, the 90s. And it's, it's great for me because it just uh, really gives me some insight onto uh, what is coming up, not only for you know that year, but the following years uh, as well. I've got uh, a guest from the Consumer, Te- uh, the Consumer Technology Association, the folks that put on the show. His name is Brian Comiskey. Uh, thanks for joining us, Brian. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, happy to, to join. So it's it's been an interesting few years, uh, Brian. Uh, you know, especially with the pandemic, and I actually kind of wrote it all the way through. There was a a few low attendance years, you know, when not everyone could uh, make it. But um, I, I really have seen it, uh, you know, come roaring back, uh, you know, last year. And you know, what are we looking forward to this year? How's how's the attendance looking? Yeah, of course. So uh, from all intents and purposes and the way we're tracking um and obviously we audit our show po- uh post the event to make sure that you know our numbers are exact but we're tracking for about 130,000 attendees this year wow. um so really 
returning kind of in that post pandemic era, you know, health always came first during those shows, but, and we still make that a major focus here, but it's very clear that people want to come back. There's the value of meeting in person. People have about like 29 meetings per show um, as they come in. So it really is uh, just uh, looking, shaping up to be an incredible show. Well attended. And it is a big show. Um, can you give the listeners kind of an idea of how big it is, you know, as far as square footage and exhibitors? Yeah, of course. So I know that in the Eureka Park area alone, which is in the Venetian Expo, we'll have over a thousand startups. Um, from a square mil- uh, square footage perspective, my understanding is about over two million square feet. Um, so very much, in a lot of ways, the largest technology show, um, probably by footprint. So it's shaping up to have thousands of exhibitors, 130,000 attendees, which will include media as well as financial analysts and other industry experts. So it really is, um, you know, the first time I attended uh, CS in person myself was CS 2020. Um, so it was right before pandemic. So there was about 175,000 people. Um, and so you hear these numbers, you hear the square footage space, and you go, yeah, it's big. But there's something about very visceral about arriving in person and you realize, Wow, this is a massive place with probably the biggest tent in terms of technology, too, where you will have exhibitors from not just um, the digital health side, the consumer electronics side, like your phones and TVs, but also enterprise solutions, um, food tech, uh, agricultural tech. It's one of the largest auto shows in the world. So it really is this massive big tent of innovation. It's so much fun. You brought up an interesting thing there, automotive, uh, which has really come on mm. strong the past uh, few years at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show. And um, I'm just kind of surprised at how big it really has become. And you were saying it's one of the, the bigger ones in the world now when it comes to automotive shows. Yeah, certainly. It really is in so many ways. It's just it's grown into the space we're using at the Las Vegas Convention Center, the uh, new West Hall. And it's entirely booked out um, at this point last i checked and it's going to be it's just it's such a range of just the entire mobility ecosystem so when i mean by that is it ranges from sort of like your enterprise and logistics solutions like think trucking and like electric trucking or automated trucking for supply chain to your other uh, individual passenger vehicles and all the technology on board so we'll have exhibitors like mercedes-benz kia hyundai that will showcase not just what the future cars look like, which is quite electric, quite self-driving, but also just what the infotainment systems look like, like larger uh, touchscreens and more passenger connected vehicles. And that mobility ecosystem extends beyond that into micro-mobility solutions like your e-scooters and uh, electric motorcycles from companies like The Verge um, out of Estonia. And then it's not just by land. Um, the When we're talking like, we're really talking about mobility show is the better way to phrase it. We'll have uh, examples of land and uh, or sea and air as well. So I know Supernal, who's Hyundai's um, uh, e, uh, air mobility uh, brand, is going to be there showcasing what really the electric flying taxis of tomorrow look like. And then you'll have people like Brunswick, who are major innovators in the boating space. They've debuted, and I'm looking forward to seeing updates on it. Um, self-docking technology. So if you think about how difficult um, and how much innovation is required to make autonomous cars move, think about what happens when you have a boat that's docking because not only is the boat moving, so is the water in a lot of ways. So it really is this 
entire rich tapestry of companies in the automotive and space and beyond. Uh, so that's why I'm always very conscious and be like, this is a, it's a mobility show. Um, how do people get from A to B? Self-docking boats. That's amazing. I know so many friends that have boats and that is a major pain point actually docking uh, the boat. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about that. Uh, definitely. What, what are some other things that you're kind of looking forward to? Cause you, 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 I think you're kind of the inside man. You kind of have a, a, a you know, a, you have the knowledge of what's coming. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So I, when I'm watching the show, I, you know, I'm always tracking like what are going to be kind of these big trends and what I always like to define to people is that there's, you know, you have industries that are in all ways that some people call them verticals, right? So you think content, health, technology, gaming, mobility, we're talking about these clear industry verticals. And there's going to be a lot of innovation that I'll touch on in those in a second. But then I always like to take a step back. What are these trends, though, these technology trends and design ideas that are what we would call horizontal, meaning that they cut across every single industry vertical? And so... I say this, and I don't think it's going to surprise you when the first major um, kind of horizontal trend that will appear at the show is something that we've been talking about all year, which is artificial intelligence. Um, I think rightfully we've been focused on innovations around things like chat GPT and generative AI because it's offered a tangibility to consumers in a way where they can put in a query and they'll get a response back. But at CES, you're going to see just how much larger and deeper this AI ecosystem is. And it starts really at actually the chips themselves that power this. Um, one of my favorite is uh, Jensen Wong from NVIDIA was talking about they use not just AI for software, but you have AI making the chips themselves. You can't do this without AI underpinning this move. So at CES, we're going to have a ton of different chip exhibitors showcasing the latest in semiconductors. So thinking like you're, you're kind of like your AMDs, your NXP semiconductor. And when you pair chip technology with data infrastructure tools, so, you know, data, think about it as the language that's powering these systems. You have to clean it up to make it just easier to parse. Then you get what's essentially the horizontal wave of applications. So Amazon, Alibaba will certainly be there um, uh, talking about how their their platforms are being enhanced by AI. So Amazon is going to be activating in a variety of different ways. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that impacts their e-commerce, their automotive solutions and other consumer side. Alibaba, I expect to actually hear a lot about the enterprise and how AI is improving performance of software there, as well as other sort of uh, B2B solutions. You also have digital twins that get unlocked. So when you think about a digital twin, what you're taking is a, a physical world environment and completely digitizing it to have a, a virtual version. When you do that, you unlock unlimited research and development potential. So a company like Siemens, who showcased a lot of that research last year in North Hall um, with underwater farming digital twins, space tourism digital twins, we expect they're going to be keynoting this year. They're back in North Hall. We would expect them to be showcasing a lot more of these advancements from digital twins that improve our world. And then, of course, robotics. Uh, a lot of people forget, like when you're talking about AI, you're also talking about robotics. Um, and so we expect to see companies like Rich Tech Robotics and North Hall and others in this sort of AI robotics section to be really showcasing a lot of how really the idea and the promise of AI and what makes it so exciting is it's supposed to eliminate the drudgery in our lives in a lot of ways with these repetitive tasks and open us up to more creative solutions. So AI is going to be a major trend that you'll see across SoFloor. The other two horizontal trends that I would be remiss if I didn't mention in terms of they will appear in some form across the show floor are going to be sustainability 
And that is ranges from alternative power generation sources, smart cities and resilience technologies that you'll see in uh, from companies like 3M and Jackery and North Hall to some of the Eureka Park exhibitors like LV Energy, who is harvesting sound waves to produce electrical energy. Um, they're over on the Dutch Pavilion in Eureka Park, our startup section. Um, but sustainability also can mean like, how are you improving your packaging? How are you improving your emissions run through things like AI or just different materials and better recycling standards? And then finally, accessibility is going to showcase really a lot. And we have an aging tech pot partnership with ARP that's going to be showcased in the Venetian Expo as well as in Eureka Park, where there's just a greater focus on making sure that we're not leaving people behind with our advancements um, in technology. We've seen that through more accessible gaming controllers from Sony, um, through their access controller, but even people like our own, our latest keynote, L'Oreal, who is our first beauty company to ever keynote at CES, they've invented something called the Hapta device, which allows people with limited mobility to apply lipstick so that they can gain the confidence like anyone else does and can derive from these sort of products. So it's really trying to make a world where these solutions are inclusive of more people to make sure that we get a benefit of really what's the promise of all technology, right? Which is to improve our world and our daily lives. We're talking with Brian Kaminsky. He is with the Consumer Technology Association, and uh, he's just given us the lowdown on what to expect at the Consumer Electronics Show coming in January. And uh, for our listeners, as you know, I will be down there covering it uh, with the team, and uh, you will get all the latest and greatest tech that we come across and and all the news and trends uh, as well. So coming up, uh, I think the week of January 7th, isn't it, Brian? Uh, January 9th through 12th. Uh, we will be doing some media days on the 7th and 8th, though. So it's going to be a full week of some wonderful content. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Of course. Thanks, Mike. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I'm actually down in New York City. We're uh, learning about some new processors that uh, Intel has just announced. Something really exciting uh, because they're really incorporating AI. We've got a great guest. Her name's Caitlin Anderson from Intel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you guys have a lot of different processors out there. You know, I think when a lot of consumers go into like a Staples or a Best Buy, there is a sea of different <laughs> laptops, you know, for example. So, uh, you know, you can see like there's the Intel, um, you know, core processors. They've got like i3, i5, right up to i9. And of course, the higher the number, the faster. Mm -hmm. And you guys have just announced uh, a new one, uh, which I find fascinating. It's the Ultra Series mm -hmm. as well. And this is incorporating AI right into the into the hardware itself. So can you explain to listeners why you released this new processor and kind of what it can do? Yeah, we're really excited about this. So it's it's a new architecture also on our new manufacturing process, but it's really for premium users as we think about the use cases around AI that's going to really uh, grow significantly over the next couple of years. Many applications and software is leveraging AI what this chip does, or what this series of chips do, is that it has a neural processor in it, which means it really can compute those AI workloads much more efficiently, saving your battery life for consumers, making sure your power doesn't run low, and that it really has the best experience for any AI workloads. So yeah, let's just kind of dig down a little bit on that. So when you look at a processor, you know, your, your guys, um, You've got like a CPU. I think mm -hmm. people kind of can wrap their head around that. A GPU, which is the graphics processing unit. And I guess, you know, not only does that handle graphics, but 
it's also been handling like AI related tasks. And now you've got an NPU, a neural processing unit. And so that's kind of just dedicated to AI from what I understand. Yeah. So there in this new core ultra, we have three parts, the CPU, GPU, NPU, and all of them are used in different ways depending on the AI application. So if you have an application that just is running normal kind of central processing, the CPU is great for that. If you have high throughput, gaming is a great example. You're running, you know, really strong visuals. You usually leverage the GPU portion. And then the NPU is new where you can run workloads that maybe are running all the time and it's running really efficiently. It's computing, it's it's running things like if you were going to have a personal assistant on your computer that was running all the time, it would very much leverage that NPU part of the chip. And that will just make an overall platform experience much more balanced. You know, I've been in uh, the tech industry for so many years now, and it's I'm kind of excited. We're at a turning point, aren't we, mm. with computing uh, again? Uh, you know, you talked about personal assistance. Uh, Microsoft's about to launch uh, their Copilot, mm -hmm. and I don't even think people can fully wrap their head around what it's going to bring to computers. Really? Yeah, I'm quite excited as well. So I've been part of the computing category for some time. We talk about PCs as personal computers. I think the wave of AI, we believe, really just makes those computers even more personal. You know, really understanding the way you work and play and live and being more seamlessly integrated into your flow, right? Um, and so there's gonna be a lot of new development that comes out that will help us just run our daily lives, be more creative, be more productive. And that is what I'm quite excited about. Yeah, I guess some of the things that we can look forward to, you know, I think a lot of people know about chat GPT, but uh, with Copilot, it's really gonna integrate well with uh, search and uh, also, like Microsoft Office, it'll you know automatically make presentations and things uh, for you. And obviously, you know the better the processor that can handle that, the faster those things uh, will uh, uh, will will be. Um, so, when can people start expecting to see these new types of laptops with that uh, that ultra processor in it? Yes, we uh, we are launched today on December fourteenth. It's quite exciting. So you can already we'll start to have availability in stores and online. And it will all the way through the beginning of next year ramp uh, even more greatly across countries around the world. So we have over 230 designs. There will be many products available for consumers. Are we going to eventually see like a, an NPU, uh, a neural processing unit in all processors in, in the near future? Yeah, you know, we call this, we're sort of ushering in the era of the AI PC. Uh, we believe that AI workloads will run across the majority of PCs over the next five years. There will be a variation of the different products that will be necessary to do that. But yes, it will be a very uh, pervasive type of computing model. We'll get This will be normal as a, a main part of how we use our PCs moving forward. A lot of people are using um, AI right now. Hmm. Uh, having that right on the chip, uh, like you were saying again, just for the listeners, it's going to make it faster and use less power. Yeah. Because right now that's kind of going up to the cloud, I guess, in many cases to run that stuff. Yeah, we believe so. Today, a lot of it's running in the cloud. But if you think about the level of compute that will need to occur, all of these different applications, it will be a world where it's hybrid. So some will run in the cloud, some will run locally on your PC. And that locally on your PC will be good for privacy, data security, your, your information stays on the computer. Yeah, you don't want all of that in the cloud. Yes. Yeah. And then it also helps a lot with latency. It will be faster to process it when it's on local on the PC. 
Talking with Caitlin Anderson, she is with Intel about the uh, new Intel Core Ultra processors available in laptops now. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Looks like we got a few minutes left here in the program. It is really interesting with uh, this new Intel chip and uh, what that's going to mean coming up for the next uh, few years. I remember, uh, like I was saying earlier in the show to Carmi, you know, we were upgrading our computers every two to maybe three years because things were just advancing so much. And it really did come down to the apps or the, the applications, the software. If you wanted to run some of the latest new hot software like WordPerfect or Lotus 123, you needed a more powerful computer. And that's what would compel you to get some new hardware. And uh, I think we're going to see that uh, coming up again now with AI. And I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. You know, these new chips have that, uh, you know, as we spoke about that NPU or the neural processing unit that will handle the AI tasks that will uh, speed that up and uh, also uh, give more power savings, uh, especially in the uh, the mobile space. So, uh, you know, already we are seeing some uh, new ones announced. I've uh, tried out the, the new Asus ZenBook, uh, which is a beautiful uh, little uh, laptop. But, uh, you know, most of the new ones that we're going to hear about over the next couple of years will uh, have that uh, new Intel Ultra chip built in. So it's something that I think folks should uh, learn about and understand uh, why it's uh, important. Whether you know it or not, you will be using artificial intelligence uh, tools, uh, you know, especially things like Microsoft Copilot, which, you know, in in future shows, we'll give a a little more of a breakdown what that is coming from Microsoft, ChatGPT, and a lot of these other tools. Uh, I'm even kind of overwhelmed with the sheer amount of uh, apps that are coming out, especially in my space. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, a radio broadcaster. And it's it's interesting because I, I've come across some new AI tools that are just blowing my mind. Like, for example, my podcast. I can now run it through with this AI tool that will translate it into other languages using my voice. So it'll be Mike Agarbo in Italian or, or French or Danish, and it'll, it will kind of sound like me. And that's just kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. We're just getting started in that that whole uh, world. And just, you know, creating videos and, and photos just by being able to, you know, type that in, you know, a description or even our voice now uh, as well. So I know it's intimidating to a lot of the listeners out there, but what I can say is just start learning about it. Just start Googling some of these tools. Try out ChatGPT. It's free. Stable Diffusion. Uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, with their Copilot and their, uh, you know, their Bing, they uh, they have all sorts of tools that you can try out. And it's it doesn't cost you anything to, to, to figure it out. And it's actually quite easy. So I think it's important that, you know, we all kind of get behind this and learn these tools that uh, can help us in our, our business and our, our lives. Next week, I'll be in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show, so I encourage you to uh, tune in to that program next Saturday. It's going to be pretty exciting. I've seen some of the uh, the previews of uh, the tech gear coming out, and I'm pretty excited. It hasn't uh, been this big uh, for a few years since the pandemic. That's all the time we have left. Mike Agarbo signing off. We'll see you again next time.